0: Hello, church. My name is Jake, and we will now be reading today's passage from the book of Job. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen behind me. I'm reading uh, from chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they all saw that his suffering was very great. This is the reading of God's Word. All right.
1: Well, uh, good morning to you all, True North. My name is Eugene. I'm uh, one of the teaching pastors and I'm on pastoral staff here. Uh, Jake, thank you for the reading. Jake, you should go into Bible narration as a—I'm I'm like very serious. Um, just really quickly, our lead pastor, Jay, uh, he is uh, traveling to visit some missionaries at a undisclosed country in Asia, so if you could just pray for safe travels for him, um, he'll be back next week as well. I'm sure he'll have a lot to share um, of his own visitations of some missionaries there. Um, but today, uh, what we're going to do um, is take a look at Job, uh, and the, the question I want to answer today, if you don't know we're in the midst uh, of a sermon series on suffering is, uh, For some of us here uh, throughout this series, you might have heard a lot of these sermons and been like, it's great, thank you, but I'm not suffering, I'm actually okay. And I'm gonna be honest, part of me is like that too at times, I'm very blessed at this moment, I don't think there's too much hardship that I'm going through and I'm praising God for that, but what are we to do then when we see the suffering of others? And what I want to spend some time today is to answer that question, how can we as a church, as disciples, as friends, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, how can we comfort those who are suffering? Uh, When I was uh, 19, one of my close friends uh, that I grew up with uh, did everything with. Uh, His mom uh, passed away from stomach cancer, a very aggressive form of that. And I remember we were serving on uh, like a traveling worship team together, and he had just finished playing with us uh, at this big conference. Um, he was a drummer, I was a bassist, so we were really close. And he had just finished his set, and um, it, was, it was pretty sensitive because his mom was on his uh, her deathbed, and he was here worshiping with us. And I remember after our set finished, he got a text that said, hey, you need to come home immediately. So he left, and it was a very charismatic conference, and I think uh, with a bit of nativity, we, we believed, oh, um, you know, we were worshiping God, You know, she'll be healed, she'll be okay. He was just serving God's people. And after a couple minutes passed, we eat lunch, and then I get a text, or we all get a text saying from him, hey, my mother passed, thanks all. And I remember getting that text, and if I'm being completely honest, the first emotion that came, at least for me, uh, was fear. You see, there was this fear that um, this was someone I was really close with, and if you know you know, guy friendships too. It's like, you're really close, but you don't want to say you're close, right? So you're just like, it's weird. And the biggest fear I had with that friendship was, I don't know what to do now. Do I go visit him? What what do I say? Do I give him space? And there was a level of uncomfortability that, you know, he's suffering, and if I enter into that space with him, it's going to be uncomfortable for me, if I'm being honest. And I remember for a long time, I just chose to avoid him i would send him texts here and there and i remember one particular day after you know the funeral had passed i visit him and in my own you know, you know i'm 19 in my own youth and stupidity i just acted like nothing happened like, hey you want to get boba They like, will drive on me And he looked at me he was like what's wrong with you my mom just died and i remember at that moment i was just kind of like caught off guard and I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And if you're, look, if you're like me, I'm 33 now, and not much has changed even for me being in ministry. Uh, Meaning, if you're like me, and if you're human, when those around you go through deep suffering, there is a level of uncomfortability and a level of confusion of what do I say? What do I do? And for those of us who hear, say like, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, with that truth, what am I even supposed to use that for? So what I wanna to do today is this, is to tackle that and to see, well, what does this text give us some wisdom in? You see, for a lot of us, the uncomfortability, the, the confusion, the fear is we don't wanna say the wrong thing, we don't wanna offend that, the one who is suffering, we don't wanna make things uncomfortable for us. But scripture gives us a lot of wisdom and instruction on what to do. Um, You see, Job's friends, if if you've been around the church, they get a really bad rap uh, of being horrible friends, and rightfully so, they suck. Um, And we'll get into that next week. But until this point, in these three verses that we have, there's a lot of wisdom and good work being done. A lot of modeling that we as Westerners can take in how we can comfort those who are deeply mourning and deeply suffering. So what I wanna do with us today, it's gonna to be very practical, uh, this sermon today, but I think what Job's friends model for us is four things, or four ways, or four stages, and how we can comfort those around us. I believe there's an image above me. I don't know how clear it will be, but let's see. But the four stages, and i really quickly, I don't want you to get caught up in the words too much because there'll be kind of common words used in, you know, in the modern therapeutic age, but, oh, um, well, maybe it's not there, but four words. Pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. If, I, you know, if I'm honest, if I ask, unless you're in counseling, if I ask you to describe those four things, you're like, ah, they all sound the same. I right? just be nice to people that are sad. But I, I really think to comfort well is to be intentional, is to be wise, and it's to move through stages of comfort with the sufferer. And it's these four stages. And again, you know, in Scripture it says like, oh, Jesus had compassion or Jesus had pity. You have to understand that's not, it's a different word, so I'll get to that. But the first is this. The first stage to comfort those who are suffering is pity. Um, What is that? Pity, it involves recognizing and acknowledging someone else's suffering with a sense of sorrow. So what I mean by that, his friends show us this. Um, Verse 11, Job's three friends heard of all the evil. They came each from his own face, Eliphaz, Bildaz, Zophar. And they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. His three friends see the suffering that Job goes through. So if you don't know the context of Job in chapters 1 and 2 before we get to this point, what we see is that there's this kind of heavenly kind of divine court. And all of a sudden, one person who's called Satan, who's obviously Satan, comes to God and says, I think Job only worships you because you give him nice things. You take it away, you make him suffer, and he will leave you. So God relents to this test, and he makes Job go through an intense amount of suffering. He loses his family, his property, his net worth. He loses absolutely everything. And from that, we get this. His friends hear about this see the the post or whatever it may be at the time, and the first thing that they do is they make an intentional step. They make what is in Hebrew an appointment to acknowledge the suffering. They put in their calendar, dude, Job is suffering. Let's meet up to see him. This may seem very uh, elementary, but I want us to understand this. The first step in comforting the suffering begins with mere acknowledgement. I know that sounds easy. I know that sounds like, oh, we all know that. But this is the thing. It, it could be something as simple as a simple text. Um, uh, you know, last week, one of our brothers here and members here gave a very powerful testimony on the suffering that he has endured over his whole life. I remember one part uh, of his testimony that stu- stood out was, you know he was talking about, you know I have you know he has his own friends like Joe, and like those friends, it's like all they could muster is a text as guys like, "Hey, this sucks, this sucks." But I remember him saying... That small text did so much for him. And I, this is the thing, I know this seems very elementary, but the first step is this, is to pity, is to acknowledge. Look, we live in a world where everything is going around us a thousand miles per hour. Our friends, you know, even if you go off the freeway and you take an off-ramp, the first thing you see often when you're getting to a local road is someone suffering on the side. Now are they being honest? Are they being truthful? If you're like me, you've read enough reports where a lot of these people have like jobs and they're just trying to pander for money. But this is the thing. We see suffering all the time, but the first step is to acknowledge it, to, to, to pause and be like, wait, wait a second. This isn't normal. Let me point that out. This sucks. And let me let you know that. Why is that so important? Uh, well, in Psalm, one thing you realize is this. God pities us. God is someone who says, you have taken account of my miseries and put my tears in your bottle, that's Psalm 56.8. God acknowledges our own suffering, he pities us, that's how he begins, he says, look, I am not a God that is sitting in his heavenly throne, far away being like, hey, good luck. No, I I acknowledge and see your suffering. Why is that so crucial? This initial step of acknowledgement can begin the healing of the suffering, why? Because the greatest pain suffering gives you, I've talked about this a lot, is not the actual loss you go through, but the isolation you feel. If you've lost a loved one, especially if you've lost a a child, especially if you've lost someone that shouldn't have been lost, the pain you feel is not just that they're gone, but that you feel completely alone in that pain. And oftentimes the first thing that you can do is just merely say, that sucks. That could be a text, that could be a conversation, it could be a simple word. This only can happen when we slow down our lives to hear and see those around us. We have to learn to slow down, to pity those around us. Look, and this is the thing, you're like, oh this, come on man, you don't need a sermon for this. That step is extremely easy for those that are deeply publicly suffering. But our call as friends, as community group members, as families, as, as church members, as co-workers, as this, is to have eyes to be able to pity. Because so much of the suffering that people go through, it's not public. You know this because you hide your own suffering, if you're honest. And what Job's friends show us is that they make an intentional step to seek out the suffering of their friend. Look, I, I promise you this. You're like, hey, that's great. None of my friends are suffering. I'm, no, they are. You just don't know I'm um, Alan Noble I've quoted this a lot but he writes this he's a Christian writer we can't assume that just because people around us haven't shared their trauma and suffering they're okay you're better off assuming that everyone you meet is bearing some unspoken burden pity is not just acknowledging public suffering but is searching for the suffering of the friends that is hidden can we do that that's the first step very easy but it gets a little bit tougher because this is the thing, if we just stand at pity, right? And for many of us, we stop right there. We're like, man, my friend is suffering, let me shoot them a text. You know what, let me shoot them a DoorDash. That'll really you know, show them that I care. And that's good, you should do that, okay? But if we stop there at mere acknowledgement, what it leads us to do is to categorize, hey, you're suffering, I'm okay, that's the boundary. You're different, your circumstances put you in a different group. What we have to do is the next step, which is called sympathy. The next step is sympathy. The next step is to move from just mere acknowledgement to saying, hey, I I see your pain to like, hey, I care about your pain. That's what sympathy oh that's what sympathy is in this format. See in verse 12, we see Job's friends see the ugliness of suffering from afar. Um, you know, they they make an appointment and they're like, dude, Job, Job's going through a lot, man. Let's go visit him. So they, they all three kind of band together, they go visit him. Verse 12, and when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. This is the thing. If you just stop at pity of like, hey, I'm going to acknowledge your suffering, you can do that from afar. You can do that from far, far away. You can do that from the comforts of your sofa, on a phone, on DoorDash, on an app, on a text, on the, hey, I said a prayer for you. And again, it's very important. But make make one thing clear. Job's friends from a distance see him. And one thing they see is, they could not recognize him. They could not recognize him. If you've been around people who are deeply suffering, it is very uncomfortable. uh, Because many of us stay at arm's length because those who are suffering are irrational, unstable, and forever scarred. They become, they, they, they become little, to put it bluntly, spiritually uglier. Because it's just like, oh man, like they're going through a lot. And and if you're honest, like me, even if they're close, your first instinct for those that are suffering is to like kinda of put a hand on like, it, oh whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, okay, let's take it let's take a moment here. But you see, Job's friends from a distance see that this is gonna be uncomfortable. Like Job is not the same. He's gonna be irrational. He's gonna be unstable. He's gonna be crying like for random reasons, and yet they choose to say, No, I care. So I'm going to step closer, even closer. To truly care is to get uncomfortable, to sympathize, to move from pity to sympathy. You know that's happening is when you feel uncomfortable, when you ask questions that you know will give you bad answers. to, To sympathize, to move from pity to sympathy is to enter into that space where it's just awkward silence. It's just sitting there with someone that is crying their eyes out someone you've never seen that side of, and you feel almost like, oh, this, this feels a little shameful. That's when you know you move to sympathy. Because for you to be able to help, you need to be able to get dirty. You know, in 2011, I was in India, and um, I was, well, we were kind of tasked. We're in this northern city, and we're supposed to paint um, the side of the seminary like this painting, you know, there's like four guys or a couple guys on the team. We're all horrible at creative stuff, but this way, there's a girl on our team who will remain unnamed. Um, she's not here, but she wrote this, she drew this like beautiful painting on, on a sketchbook. She was like, hey, we should draw like this. It's like the picture of Moses and like parting the Red Sea. you are like, oh, cool. Like, hey, you, you help us and we'll do it. But she, uh, she hated getting dirty, right? So she would give us all these supplies, and we're painting, and painting sucks, right? Like, I'm not, I, if that offends you, I apologize. Paint, to paint a beautiful picture, you can't paint that unless you get dirty. Unless you get mixed up paint all over your clothes. That's why like painters have those like crazy pants that look all creative, but it's just like, just mess up paint on them. And you and uh, we were painting this, and we realized, like, dude, this sucks. Like, paint, when it gets on your skin, especially when it's hot, and, and it just kinda cakes, and we can't take a shower for a week. So we're literally, it's, it's like a tattoo, right? I was like, this, this is disgusting. And she's like bossing us around. And then I was like, yo, like, can you come here and like help us? She said, oh, I am helping you from here. I said, I don't want to get dirty. I was like, you ain't painting then. For you to paint, you got to get dirty. And this is what I'm saying. For you to be able to truly begin to give comfort to those that are suffering, you have to get dirty. That, that, those tears, the pain, the uncomfortableness, you have to begin to feel uncomfortable. That's when you know you're moving from pity to sympathy. You know how there's a better example of this than Job's friends? Jesus, in all of his stories, when he sees suffering from afar, and it's always from afar, he sees the woman at the well who has had multiple husbands, who's getting water in the middle of the day at the hottest time because she is culturally canceled. She, he, she, he sees him, she sees her from afar, and he's like, this is gonna get uncomfortable if I get closer. What does he do? He moves closer. Every leper he encounters, he could have been like, yo, I'm gonna heal you from here, because I can't. He doesn't. He moves in closer. When the crowd surround him, and they get angry, and hungry, and hangry, basically, what does he do? He says, I'm gonna move closer to feed them. Jesus never stopped that mere acknowledgement the suffering around him, but always pause to learn more, to be uncomfortable, to be culturally in weird places so that he could care, to sympathize. See, from us to move to pity to sympathy, we have to ask questions that are difficult with curiosity, with bravery to sympathize. That's what it means. But scripture calls us to an even deeper level. And we move from, is that picture good? Great, we move from pity, Sorry, you probably can't read this, so I apologize. Pity to sympathy to empathy. I'm sorry for you. I acknowledge that. I feel for you. I care for you. The next step is this I feel with you. That's what empathy is. Um, you know, empathy's become like this cool term, and Brenny Brown, if you know her on TED Talk, she's gi- given great stuff on it. Some stuff I think is good, some stuff I think is kind of confusing, but that's for another sermon. But the, 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 the bottom line of empathy is this. Um, empathy involves from progressing from care of like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable and care for you, to I'm going to share the pain you're going through. I'm going to feel the pain you're going through and make it my own. In verses 12 to 13 of the text, we see Job's friends do this. They saw him from a distance and they did not recognize him, so they moved closer they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. So all of this stuff that they're doing, it's, it's a, it's a mourning ritual. It's, it's what you do in funerals. Why do, you, why do you cry at the funeral? You know, back in the olden days, they would literally hire professional wailers, professional criers. Why? Because you want the sufferer to feel their pain is not felt alone. So, you know, Job's friends, it seems like they've been, it's like long lost college buddies. You know, all of us, if you're married, you have friends that like don't know your your spouse, they don't know your kids. You wouldn't expect them to like feel that pain. But This is what they're doing. Like, dude, I haven't seen you in a while, Job, but I'm going to mourn with you. I'm going to, let me step into empathy. Verse 13. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. They physically put themselves in a place for one week to physically feel the same suffering that Job feels. That's the level that the scriptures call us to comfort people with. Not just to acknowledge, not just to care, but to feel with them. Um, Jesus does this too. The Gospels, uh, again, and I want to be careful here. When, when the Gospels say Jesus had compassion, I know compassion is a different word here, but it's not a direct translation. That, that word compassion, or if, it, maybe it's have mercy in translations, it's a Greek word called splankizomai. You don't need to remember what that means. but All you need to remember is that word is the Greek root for spleen. I think your spleen's here, I don't know, somewhere here, right? Um, I'm not a good biology person, but it's, it's an internal organ. And what that word means is not that you just simply have pity for them. That word literally means to feel so much pain that your inside hurts. So when Jesus says, for example, I don't know if this will be—I don't think this will be on the screen—but in Luke 13, Jesus encounters a widowed mother that just lost her son, and Jesus says, and when the Lord Jesus saw her, he had compassion, he had splanchizomai on her. And you, when you read the English compassion, it's like, oh, he feels bad for her. No, no, he's literally hurting inside for her and said to her, do not weep. What does that mean? As disciples, as the church, as Job's friends as modeled for us, as Jesus shows us, we have to go beyond the rational to the emotional. You know, as Westerners, um, we love to silverline suffering. We love to explain away suffering. But the, the beauty of the Christian tradition is it doesn't do that. Um, Brandon Brown has this great video uh, on empathy, which I think is very helpful and I've shared this before, where empathy is like this. Sympathy, which is good still, is this. You see someone fall into a hole, right? Pity is just like, hey, they fell in a hole. Great, I'm gonna I'm go home. Sympathy is they fell in a hole and you rush over and you look down and they're in the hole. Like, hey, are you down there? Like, yeah, is it cold? Yeah, are you okay? No, that sucks. Good luck, that's sympathy, And that's good, we need to do that. Empathy is doing all those things and then slowly walking down the ladder with them to sit with them in the darkness. That's what the level of care we're called to do. And this is the thing, that that type of care is not logical. Um, So meaning, Job's friends do great for three verses and then they suck. For the next 20 chapters, what they're gonna try and do is explain away Job's suffering. Job, you're suffering because you sinned. Job, you're suffering because you suck. Job, you're suffering because you don't understand God. Those are all true things. Those are also all things that he does not need to hear. What he needed was what they did for seven days and seven nights. Empathy begins with curiosity rather than silver lining. So meaning this, so many of us, you know, as Westerners, when we encounter suffering, and if you're like me, your first instinct is to silver line it. Like uh, Brennan Brown uses, again, stealing from her. Like, hey, I, I, I had a miscarriage. It's like, oh, at least you can get pregnant, right? It's like, oh, like, my, my son is doing horrible at school. It's like, oh, at least you have children, right? And, and what you're trying to do is just trying to minimize the suffering so that logically, hey, this sucks, just get over it. But the scriptures don't do that, none of that. The scriptures, what Job's friend shows, what Jesus shows us is this we're supposed to sit with them and ask questions not so that they can come to some you know nirvana like oh my gosh you've you've answered my suffering you ask questions so that you can understand their pain so that you can feel their pain to try and embody that pain because that's the level of care god calls us to do suffering is like being in a prison cell And when you suffer, you don't need a professor coming in telling you why you're in the prison cell. You need a cellmate to sit with you. That's what Job's friend's showing us. That's what Jesus is showing us. That's what it means to empathize. You first pity them. You acknowledge their suffering. You say, hey, man, that sucks. Second, you move towards them. You're like, hey, can we meet up? Knowing it's going to be uncomfortable, knowing I have nothing good to say, knowing I'm probably going to say something that might offend them, but when you do meet up, what you do is like, hey, I, I want to ask you, like, what do you, what do you feel? Even if it's difficult, why, are you go, why does it hurt so much? And the reason you ask is not to make them feel better, but so that you can feel what they're feeling. That's the level of comfort we're called to. Sufferers don't need a professor. They need a cellmate to sit with them. So we have so far, you know, pity, sympathy, empathy. Now, if we just end with empathy, um, it will be complete chaos. Uh, You know, one pastor put it well. It's like, if we just end with empathy, and this is often where I think some uh, modern kind of trends get it wrong, it's like saying, hey, you're in this quicksand. I'm going to jump in with you, and we'll sink together till we die. That's often what happens. But as Christians, what we're called to do is the final step is to have compassion, is to be, I'm moved by you to relieve your suffering, So let me me end with this, with this point. Pity is to acknowledge the suffering. Sympathy is to care for the suffering. Empathy is to feel their emotions like they're your own. And finally, compassion is, what can I do to relieve the suffering, to take away the suffering? Um, Job's friends, uh, as Job continues, and we might get into this next week, they give a great example of what not to do. Of like, hey, this is the thing. I think Job's friends were like, stage one, stage two, stage three, perfect you're doing a great job and then naturally you get to stage four you're like okay i feel what they're going through let me take away their suffering you know what i gotta do i gotta give Job a sermon yeah that's what i'm gonna do so if you don't know like as i mentioned like all these chapters in the and moving forward all their friends and it's pretty interesting they talk like double the amount that Job talks they're just talk 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 yapping 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 just giving like sermons back and forth of like, hey, you sin, repent, God is unknowable. It's a lot of good, a lot of bad. But it's already made clear in Job in the beginning, Job's suffering is not a punishment. It's not some punishment for his sin. So they're all wrong. And, and this is the first thing, a side point. The first thing to do, and I'm, and I'm gonna say this bluntly, is just to shut up when you're with those who are suffering. Like, often, you know, um, one of our staff meetings for the sermon, one of the questions was like, dude, like, when people are suffering, what do I need to say? Like, what are the words that we should do? And I thought about it, and I was like, I, and and this might be a little too elementary, but one of the parts is this. um, You just, you don't say anything. Just be there. Because one of the first steps of compassion, one one of the first steps to relieve their suffering, if you do everything so far well, is just your mere presence your physical, tangible presence. Often, the greatest aid in relieving the pain of suffering comes from a tangible presence from a friend. And and Job's friends do this pretty well for a part. They do it and they sit in complete silence for seven days. For seven whole days, seven whole nights, they just sit with him. Those who suffer, they don't need an explanation, they need to be reminded you are not alone. And this is the thing, this can be one of the most difficult steps, because if you realize when you suffer, you don't want to be around people. You don't want, to, you don't want people to see you in your lowest spot. You don't, want to, you don't want people to see you crying with an ugly face, you know what I'm talking about? You want people to see you at your best. And if that's true, then how much more true of it of our friends? This is the thing, I know this too, especially, let me talk to some of the dudes here. Like, when, people are su- when, when guys are suffering and his guy friends are like, hey, like, you okay? Like, I'm okay. If, if they say I'm okay, that means, like, oh, they're not okay. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they need people in their life, even if it's annoying. Like, and you're like, hey, let's go watch the game. And he's like, there's no game. It's like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just put on a game, you know? Don't worry. It's simple things like that. It's just literally physical presence. My therapist once told me a story where um, he had lost, they had lost uh, their father And his older brother, who they've been pretty, um, not in the best relations with, um, it was a pretty big loss for both of them. And especially for the therapist, as the youngest in that family. And I remember he told me, my older brother would come after the funeral, every day for 63 days straight, to fix a squeaky door. And he was doing everything that you could, except fixing it, he was like, hey, you know brandon like you know i think you need a new door he's like no i just need wd-40 my dog he's like no no, no let me buy you a new door i'm gonna i'm gonna make a new door for you so he would come every day making a door in their house and he was like what are you doing bro you just go home but i remember he told me like on day 53 or 54 he realized his brother realized one he couldn't be alone and he realized his younger brother couldn't be alone and he just needed an excuse to be around him to, to get even more practical for me, I've witnessed this recently uh, at, with, with younger people. Um, I was driving back home from Thanksgiving. Don't ever do that. Um, I, I drove back Saturday, and man, like, when you drive on the 5, like, there's a, if you've driven on the 5 long enough, like me, there's a code. Like, you stay on the left, and trucks stay on the right. But on holidays, you get all these new people who don't know how to drive, and they're like, you know, crisscrossing. And it, there wasn't even traffic, but because people were, like, getting annoying going to the right, and I was, like, yelling on the top of like, what are you doing? And my kids were, like, Whoa, what's going on? And it took us nine hours to get to Gilroy. Nine hours, right? And I was just, like, this is BS, right? And I get to Gilroy. And when I get to Gilroy, it tells me now, oh, the 101 is packed. So you got to take this local road into gilroy and if you don't know gilroy and the local roads they're literally the size of this carpet it's just it's just tiny right so i'm on this local road and Waze is like Waze always lies to you it's like oh like you know one hour and ten minutes left oh it must be two and a half hours right so i'm going and you know it's like okay it's getting a little better and we get to a local road and all of a sudden we hit bumper to bumper traffic and i'm about to lose my mind okay on the other side this car comes like hey there's a there's a down telephone pole because someone crashed into it Right? People are suffering. I was like, I don't care. I tell them to hurry up, right? Um, and it's like, you can just go around it. So people are going around it, and they're, they're, being, so, like, they're being so careful and slow. I just like, just hurry up, right? I just want to go home. They're going, and I'm like, the second car, so there's two cars in front of me going around the telephone pole really slow. Now, this telephone pole is on the ground. It's not really well lit, so only our side can see it. On the other side of the road, coming the opposite way, I see a car booking it. And it's not like speeding, but they're going pretty fast, and I'm, I'm seeing it in real time. And like, I have this weird thing where like I'm fascinated by accidents, so I see it coming. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, sorry, this sounds too exciting. I was like, "He's gonna hit the pole, right?" And I, I turned to my wife, I was like, "Watch this, right?" But I tried to warn him. I tried to like uh, high beam him, and he high beamed me back, like thinking I was just like saying hi. I was like, "Oh well," he hits the pole, and he slides into the other car. And the other car spins out, right? And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Right? Uh, it was like it was big, but it, I, no one got really hurt, right? So like I went out and made sure like everyone was okay. Everyone was fine. People were yelling at each other. Um, the fire truck was coming. No one was like critically injured. So I'm just there, and then like I, like when I see smoke, I drive to it. That's the type of guy I'm. at. So I, I got back and I was like, "That was crazy!" Right? And my wife's like, oh, "I wish we had our dash cam because we could have gone viral." And I was like, "Oh yeah." Um, by the back of my car is my son. And my son, I didn't realize, I usually put the, the seats in a way in our minivan where they're right behind us. They can't really see us. But for that moment, he was in the middle of the row, uh, shifted there. So he saw the whole thing happen. And you know, if you know my son Eli, he's like a very like crazy, goofy guy. I was like, dude, Eli, wasn't that crazy? Like, everyone's okay, don't worry. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I, I could tell he was kind of like hiding something. I was like, are you okay? And all of a sudden, he just burst into weeping, right? I was like, what happened? And I realized. That was his first car accident that he saw live, you know? And my wife turned to me, she's like, oh, this is first core memory for our son, right? Um, and I remember I was like, okay, I got this, like, cool dad. I was like, Eli, like, don't worry, like, do you see that? And out from the distance you saw a fire truck. I was like, Eli, what is that? He's like, fire truck. It's like, hey, they're gonna, like, everyone's okay, don't worry. And he would just bawl even more. And he was like, you know, I realized like it was the first time he saw a car accident, he was like, Oh, like, but like, is that gonna happen to us? I was like, kind of offended. I was like, first of all, like, I'm a great driver, okay? <laughs> Why would you say that? Um, you know, but he's five, so I can't say that. I was like, no, I, like, Eli, don't worry, it's not gonna happen to us. And I remember we're driving and we get past it, and he's just uncontrollably sobbing. And you know, in, you know I'm, I'm, I, it's like 10 hours in, I'm trying my best, I'm just trying to rationalize him. I was like, like, Eli, don't worry, like, there's this thing called car insurance, like, it's, it's fine. Like, no one got hurt, right? Sydney, my daughter, oblivious to everything even if she saw stuff I don't think she would care she's like kind of that type of girl but she didn't see anything and she looked over and she was like Opa like brother's like are you crying and he was like yeah I said, Opa take my hand and they just held hands for like an hour and he stopped crying and I was first of all I was like hey man I, I tried to rationalize this to you right <laughs> like, what, 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 why is my daughter's hands saving you and what I realized is this I was reminded of this even at a young age, when they're suffering, they don't need to be rationed with. They need to have a presence. That's the only way the suffering can be relieved. So for many of us, I tell you that story because this, spiritually in our souls, we're just infants. We're terrified. The minute something happens where it's a car accident, what we see, but maybe it's the loss of a family member, the loss of a vocation, the loss of salary, your investments take a huge dip, whatever that suffering you see, Let's be honest, it terrifies you. You don't need rationalization, you need presence. You need people around you. And then, let me end with this. If you do open your mouth, what should we say to relieve the suffering? If we do open our mouths, what can we say more than questions and not logical explanations? I think the one thing that we can do if we open our mouths is to pray is to pray, because why? Uh, David, our worship leader, asked this. He always asked me this at every sermon um, discussion. Like, hey, what would Jesus do if, Job, if he was with Job? Right? And I was like, that's a good question. What would Jesus do? And I thought about it, and I, I think this. Jesus would pray with Job. Because when Jesus was about to encounter his own suffering, and he knew he's gonna go to the cross, what does he tell Peter? He doesn't say, Peter, repeat to me the Psalms. He doesn't say, Peter, bring me some food. He does not say, Peter, hey, just like bring me some wine so I can forget about it. He says, Peter, sit in the garden so you can pray with me all throughout the night. Why is that? Why does Jesus pray so much? Because he understands the power of God's presence. Um, You know, as I talked about, we need the presence of our friends when we suffer, but more importantly, we need God's presence in our lives when we suffer. So when you're about to say something, what should you say? Pray. And this is the thing, I'm gonna be honest, I'll confess this, even as one of your pastors, it's difficult for me to pray publicly with people. Um, I was raised in the Korean church. I was, you know, I've heard some bad prayers and, when, and whenever people pray, bad, I cringe sometimes. So I have this weird hesitation to pray often out loud for people. But why is that deep down inside? Because I honestly don't believe in the presence of God. I've, I haven't encountered the presence of God. So I'll, I'll end with this, pray. If there's one thing you can say in the silence before you leave the house, before you end the game, and I know it's gonna be awkward, right? It's like like you're just kinda of, you know like there and you're crying, whatever it may be, just pray. And three things can happen. One, they can say no. Like I, I want you to pray for me. Cool, at least they know that you care. Two, you pray and it sucks. It's like, well, we'll try next time. Or three, you pray this mumbled, garbled, weird prayer, and both of you have an encounter with God's presence. Maybe. But that's worth it. And then people are like, well, what should we pray? If you pity them, sympathize with them, and empathize with them, the prayers will come. If you truly feel the pain that they're going through, you will know what to pray. Because you're not praying on their behalf, you're praying as yourself. Pray. Pray so that we could feel God's presence. And let me end with this. As I say all this, Job's friends are great, but they suck. They're good at this, but they're not really good at this. But Jesus is great at all of this. He pities us. He sees our suffering and comes down on earth. He sympathizes with us. He moves closer to us. Not away, he moves closer to us. And as Christmas is reminded us, he empathizes with us. He becomes a baby boy. He becomes flesh. Why does he become human? He didn't need to do that. But he becomes human so that he can feel our suffering, so that he knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows what it feels like to be broken in the heart, so that he knows what it feels like to feel the burdens of life. And then he has compassion. He moves to relieve our suffering on the cross, taking our sin away, so that we can do the same for those around us. So, as we're called to comfort those around us, I would just pray this. As you read these texts of Job's friends, allow it to be a model, but ultimately look to Jesus to see what he's done for you and how we can exemplify that to those who suffer around us. Let's pray.